Well, good morning. This is actually hard to believe, but we are at the end of the Advent season here. It's pretty amazing, actually. You know, we've been looking at Advent and talking about it in this sense, because there's some of us here who grew up in traditions where there's Advent and we're maybe used to celebrating that and kind of having a perspective of what that means. For some of us in the room, it's new. But when we talk about Advent, what we're actually saying is that it's the time of year where we are expectant for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, and a lot of times we, we can kind of miss that because what we do typically is, is we look back on things like the Christmas story and we've talked this December about things like the, the angels and their proclamation to the shepherds, to the wise men who've come, to Mary and all these different perspectives on the Christmas story. And we do reflect on that but actually, Advent continues beyond that as well. Advent is an expectation, not just a belief that Christ came the first time, but this, this deep-seated hope that Jesus Christ will come again in what we call the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, it, it feels very different this Sunday than last, right? Because there's this, there's this kind of thing this time of year where, where everything builds up to Christmas, right? And that's just not here in the church. It's, it's everything. I mean, parents are planning on it. Uh, friends are getting gifts for each other. The city comes alive at Christmas. And everything kind of builds up to this zenith high. And then the day after Christmas, what happens? It is like empty. I mean, it is crazy how empty things get. It's just everything kind of calms down slows down, and we're not quite to the, the buzz of New Year, but we're not kind of still in the Christmas mode. It's an interesting time of just waiting. It's, it's almost like you can feel it here in the city. Everything's just kind of on a little bit of a slower pace. And, and you know, it's not just in the city. It's actually the reality of where we are in just our journey as a church as a people who worship God, as a people who are expecting the return of Jesus Christ and the restoration that he's going to bring to this world, we are in a time of waiting. And waiting is, is hard, okay? Let, let's just all be honest with this. Waiting is hard. And you know what? More than hard, waiting is also awkward. Do, do you know that? Waiting is just awkward. Let me prove it to you. how awkward is that? And that was like 20 seconds tops, 20 seconds, right? There's something that, that feels so just awkward and, and kind of weird about, about waiting. But, but the reality of it is life is a lot of waiting. It, it really is. And did you know that the spiritual life is a lot of waiting? You know, we said this last week that the Trinity is celebrating its 152nd Advent which is amazing, right? But you know what that also means? That now Trinity as a congregation, a unique congregation here in New York City, is waiting for the return of Jesus Christ for the 153rd time. And you know what? The church has actually been waiting a lot longer than that. 
because Jesus made this promise that he, he is going to return, that he is in process of restoring all things, and yet we still wait. And in the wait, it's hard. It gets, it gets really hard. And today what I really want us to do is to meditate and contemplate on this idea of waiting well. What does it mean to wait well in this space between this declaration, this belief that Jesus Christ is going to come again, this idea that we've experienced even some of the the first fruits of that as the Spirit works in our lives, as we see God and his plan of redemption unfold, and yet there is a gap. And how we deal with that gap will lead us down some very different paths. Turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now, for some of you who are familiar with the book of Romans, you might be thinking, okay, that's kind of an odd choice to to round out Christmas, right? Romans chapter 8 is kind of an interesting uh, text. And and I I want to kind of give a caveat here. Okay, Romans is a big book. In fact, I think Keith did that kind of right at the end of his, his tenure here as pastor, and I think he did 25 weeks in the book of Romans, okay? So some of you guys should be really well-versed in Romans, but, but right now we're going to dive into Romans chapter 8, and we're not going to touch all of Romans or really even the whole of the chapter. I want us to, to really zone in on this message of waiting. See, Paul is trying to give this, this large theological canvas, this this painting that he's doing to talk about God's grand plan of redemption and how it involves the church. And in chapter 8, he, he kind of deals with this, this disconnect between now and not yet. Look at what he says uh, in verse 16 of Romans chapter 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, Paul, Paul kind of wants you to know, hey, this Christian life that you're living, it actually mirrors the life of Jesus Christ, which who came because of the will of God, and yet he suffered, right? Jesus Christ suffered in his life. And all the way and culminating with the death on the cross and, and the, the anger of God against the sin of the world was taken upon him, the wrath of God. Jesus Christ suffered. And Paul says, church, I want you to know, if you are in Christ, you mirror his example, which is you're called by God, you're sent, and you will suffer. You go, wow, that, that's really encouraging, right? But, but Paul wants to be clear, okay? you will experience suffering. That is not an abnormal, an abnormal, I cannot say that. Can someone say that for me? Abnormality, thank you. It's, it's not an unusual thing. It's actually kind of how it works. Now, I want you to skip to the section that we read here at the end in verse 31. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, now listen to this, okay? 16. You will suffer. Hop all the way to the end of the chapter, and he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? What happened between those verses? What happened in that space 
That space where Paul goes, I want you to know life's going to be hard. I want you to know suffering will take place. And then all of a sudden, by the end, you get to this idea of, but if God is for us, who can be against us? What happens between those verses? And if we understand that, it's going to help us wait well. Do you know what happened between those verses, between this, this painful reality of life is hard to this who could possibly stop us, the confidence? You know what happened between those verses? Hope. Hope happened. And it's actually that, that hope and how it interacts with the difficulties of life and the hardships of waiting, it's that hope that translates us from this idea of it's going to be hard to this amazing, robust confidence that makes everyone want to stand up and clap, right? There's a reason why we clap at the end of that reading of Scripture, not just because Mark's a great reader, but because it's, it's actually this idea of, wow, I want a confidence like that. I want a belief that no matter what, what my year looks like ahead, no matter what my Christmas was, for some of us, it was magical. <laughs> for others of us, it was maybe a bit more like black magic, you know, like a little bit of a bad version of it, right? Whatever it is, that confidence to stand up and say, nothing will be able to separate me from the love of Christ Jesus. And you know what breeds that? That confidence, that jump from one to the other? living your life in light of the hope of the future glory that God has for his people. Look at what it says here. Verse 18. This is Paul speaking. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. See, the first thing when we talk about hope, right, and Paul starts the thing by saying, if you're in Christ, you will mirror the journey of Christ, which, by the way, involved suffering. And so your life will involve that. But, but Paul steps back and goes, but, but when I think about suffering, when I think about sorrow, when I think about pain in light of hope, you know, it's kind of not even comparable. Now, let, let, me, let me give a, a, a qualification here on this, okay? What Paul is talking about, suffering in light of hope, what he's saying is he is making uh, a, a matter of perspective. He is not being dismissive, okay? I know there are a number of people in this room who had family members die just in the last month. A number of people, right? And, and some of us experience incredible... Uh, Trials and tribulations, it could be health, it could be breakdown in families, strained relationships, right? What Paul is not saying here is, man, your suffering is no big deal, right? Kind of stop your whining, right? There's, you know, like how we do that sometimes with our kids. You better eat your food because there's somebody somewhere around the world that doesn't have it, you know? So that's why you should feel bad and eat your food, right? We kind of can import that on our spirituality, and say, well, then, you know, suffering, we just got to be like, hey, it's not a big deal. You know, I shouldn't care. It shouldn't matter. Paul's not being dismissive of suffering. What he's doing is he's putting it in perspective, in light of hope. And you know what Paul says? I, this, is, this is hard. This is a hard reality. And the weight between God says this is the plan and when it actually happens is difficult. But... When I, when I think of my current sufferings in light of hope, 
It gives me confidence. And, and I feel like, church, we instinctively kind of know that, right? I mean, have you ever had that moment where, where you're kind of doing the shoegazing thing, right? Where, like, your whole life is, is kind of in this perspective. And then it's, you see something that God does, and it totally lifts your eyes up, and you go, oh, my gosh. God, you're so much bigger than this. Have you ever had that experience? And I tell you, church, to meditate on the coming glory, the hope of glory will make your sufferings not unimportant, not go away, but it will put them in perspective to say, this is hard, but you know what? I believe that God has good things for me, and it will change your reality, right? It will change your perspective. Paul continues on, not just suffering in light of hope, but he says this, Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing. It actually says in the original language that uh, creation eagerly awaits with eager longing. Paul wants to make it really clear it's very eager, okay? Um, it's the eager beaver of the world. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. There's our word again. That the creation itself will, will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait with patience. See, Paul says, how do you wait well? First of all, you think of your sufferings in light of hope. But it's not just sufferings. He also says, I want you to think of your, your limitations in light of hope. Your limitations in light of hope. How many people here, you ever had the, the experience where, where you get really frustrated that you can't do something as well as you think you should, right? I feel like it's mostly the guys in the room, right? <laughs> like, I should have been able to do that tackle and not get injured, right? You know, the, the holiday football thing that goes wrong. And, you know, but all of us, we face this limitation, okay? We are limited human beings, and can I just say, that is one of the hardest things for people to come to grips with. It really is. The fact that I'm not as smart as I want to be, the fact that I'm, I can't do as much as I want to do, I don't have the relationships that I want. And the longer you go in life, the more that those limitations start to pile up. All of a sudden, your body stops doing what it did so easily, right? And now you're moving slower, and everything seems to be kind of collapsing around you. It's not just physically, it's actually spiritually. How many people here live under an incredible cloud of guilt because you are not the Christian you should be? How many people here go, but, but I, I want to serve God and there's part of me that so does and I just seem to so screw it up. Where you're so afraid that I have apologized to God for this thing like 500 times. You know what? I think God's kind of sick of hearing it. Limitations. Paul's reflecting on this and going, it's not just you, it's actually all of creation. 
was created to be this, this beautiful, magnificent thing. And yet, because of the entrance of sin and the gap between where we are and the hope of glory, it's like everything is in this, this Paul uses the term groaning, right? A very a pregnant imagery, this, this transition, this weight. And he says this thing that even us, not just creation, but those who have the first fruits. Okay, what, what's the first fruits? Um, I assume everyone read the book of Exodus over Christmas break, right? But for those of you who maybe missed out, okay, Exodus 23, Exodus 23, what, what you were supposed to do was with the very first part of your crops, okay? That's, that's the first of the corn that comes up, the first few ears, the first of your grapes, the first of your olives. And, you know, you take these and you offer them to the Lord to say, right, this is where we get our concept of tithing, of giving consistently of what I receive to, to the Lord. And what you're doing is you're saying, okay, this I'm giving to God out of a recognition that you're the one who gave it. And I'm trusting that you're going to give the following amounts of crops, right? See, what Paul is saying is you're like kind of that first fruit. You have, have the spirit of God in you. You, you see the work of God in you in, in part, okay? And God just does something through you in an amazing way, or maybe he answers prayer, or the spirit uses you to somehow impact another person. You are experiencing the work of God, but here's the deal. It's just the first fruits. That, that the spiritual life you live is actually just the beginning of it. And so many of us in this gap, in this way, you know what you struggle with? You know what I struggle with? But it's not the whole crop. I, I, I can't do it all. In fact, I, I fail more than I get it right. And for those of us who, you know, when we read Romans, what you realize is actually you fail a whole lot more than you even realize. It's, but it's just the first fruits. And you know what, what Paul is saying here? That even as creation that started in this wonderful place, and it's not living up to its potential. And you know what? We're not either. Physically, mentally, socially, financially, and spiritually. But take heart. Take heart in the way because in light of hope, we recognize that even in our brokenness and, and our, our faltering walk with Christ, it's a first fruit. And God will provide the rest. Amen. One day, church, you will be radiant. One day. And in that, it gives us hope, even with our own limitations. Look at what else he says here. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, verse 26. For we do not know what we, what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also 
glorified. How do you process the weight? You know what, when we think about our sufferings and the hardships of life, when we think about it in the light of glory, in the light of hope, it puts into perspective. Whenever we're dealing with our own limited nature as limited, broken, faulty human beings, in the light of God's coming glory, it gives us grace and confidence. You know this last section is, it's not just you who's doing it. And you know what? In fact, it's not even primarily you who's doing it. That, that Paul says, I want you to know that even, uh, well, let me do it this way. Uh, is there anybody here who goes, I pray as much as I should? If, you know, you're not as humble as you should if you raise your hand, but that wasn't the question, okay? The question was, do you, do you pray as much? You know, anyone ever feel like, gosh, my life would just be so different if I pray more? And we do believe that, church. But I want you to know that God is actually doing something even in the wait, even in the gap, that, that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you when you don't even know what to say, when you don't even know how to respond or how do I even think about this, right? The Holy Spirit is actually knowing the mind of God and the will of God, right? I may be praying, God, would you give me a Lamborghini? And then it's New York, so give me a parking spot and a Lamborghini, right? But, but the spirit goes, okay, kind of hold your horses there. Like, right, you know, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray that you endure suffering, right? Because the spirit knows the mind of God. And so when the spirit intercedes for us, right, God will answer that prayer. And if at the end of the day, some of you in here are so afraid that I'm going to fail enough that I'm somehow not going to make the cut, that my life is going to go, or my life already has gone off the rails enough that even though I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I've received his spirit inside of me, I somehow think at the end of the day I'm not going to make it. I want you to know God will do his work. Right? Listen to this string of words and, and the logic of it in verse 30. And those whom he predestined, that is God said, I choose you. And those whom he predestined, he also called. I not only picked you, I have called you to be a part of my family. And those whom he called, he justified, right? You did not justify yourself by your own good works. God is actually the one who justified you by the grace of Jesus Christ. And those whom he justified, he will glorify. It was God from the beginning. It will be God until the end. And you know what, there's some people who go, but wait a minute, Brian, you can't, like, that's the secret you can't tell somebody, right? Like, like it's, like, it's not like, you know, sometimes parents give these false threats to kids, kids, cover your ears right now, you don't want to hear this, okay? He actually did it, thank you. You know, like, where they're like, you can't, you can't have that because, you know, if you do, all of a sudden your teeth are going to rot and fall out, all right, that's a lie, it doesn't actually happen that way, right? And we, we kind of don't want people to know the truth because then, what well, if they feel like there's no consequences, Right? Sometimes we do that spiritually, right? Well, I got to make you afraid, right? Because fear is really what motivation is about, right? So I got to make you afraid that if you don't toe the line, right, you're going to miss out in heaven. And I tell you, people, that's not Scripture. That's not the Bible. What the Bible says, if you have been called, justified, redeemed by God, he will finish his work, whether he has to drag you there or not. And some of you, you may be dragged. But you know what? God will do his work. And I tell you, the opposite reality is true. 
that because of the assurance that we have, instead of it being a license for then just doing whatever I want, going hog wild, because I'm kind of going to heaven anyway, right? When you actually grasp the love of God in that moment and the, the providence of God in that moment, what it actually does is it encourages you to obey. That is why Paul all of a sudden goes in verse 31, what then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, as the worship team comes up, church, waiting is hard. Waiting is really hard, right? It's, it's awkward. It's difficult. And, and for so much of us, we kind of collapse in the wait. We can work ourselves up when we know it's the moment, but then in the long wait, we start to slide. And we start to gaze at our shoes and kind of it's chicken little moment and the world is falling in. It's not that, it's not that things aren't hard. They are, right? We're not being dismissive of things. But Paul really wants us to engage in this idea that, that when we come and we meditate on the hope of the future glory that we have, it puts our suffering into perspective. It, it, it actually is, is like this healing balm for this horrible thing called limitations that nobody likes and yet we all have to face. And even this grand fear of what if I fail enough? Do you know what? God will do his work. His church will be made radiant. And in the wait, we have hope. We have confidence. And because of the coming glory before us, we say, if God is for me, if God is for you, if God is for us, who could be against us? As we wait, church, wait well. As we come for communion today, I, I know we've got a lot of guests here today. I want to remind us that uh, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then we invite you to come take communion with us. We have two stations in the front here, two stations in the back. And how we do it here is we come up in groups of four to six, and we, we take it together as we sing and meditate and worship. Uh, if you're in a place where you go, hey, I'm kind of here and checking things out, but I don't really know what I think about Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. Well, let me just invite you. You can stay seated and meditate on the message and the words that are being sung over. But we invite you to come join us in taking communion today as we remind ourselves that what we need desperately is something from outside of ourselves. And we believe that is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ for us, his church. Come join us for communion.